Think you hate marketing? Think again. Here on the Marketing Chat Podcast, I share practical, relatable tips to make marketing easy and fun. I'm Kelly, a marketing strategist, Squarespace website designer, and founder of the Women Podcasters Academy. I'll be breaking down big ideas into actionable steps so you can get moving with your marketing with way less stress and way more fun. Today's episode is brought to you by the Women Podcasters Academy. The Academy features a full course and supportive community to help you start and grow your own podcast. You can find more information at womenpodcastersacademy.com. Welcome. Today, I'm interviewing a special guest, Nikki Innocent, on imposter syndrome and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Nikki Innocent is a two-time TEDx speaker, podcast host, and certified career coach focused on women, women's leadership and diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy. For over After over a decade in corporate America, the experience of feeling other is something that's familiar to Nikki. As a biracial Black woman, a child of immigrants, an elder millennial, a tomboy, and a creative non-traditional business person, it was obvious that the traditional models of success weren't built for people like Nikki or those who live in the in-between. So she's breaking them. On her podcast, Checkbox Other, Nikki shines a light on our relationship to our own unique identity and welcomes guests who share times when they have felt other or that they didn't belong and how it has shaped their lives. The power of witnessing these often unheard stories allows listeners to tap into their power of empathy and our shared humanity. We see that despite the ways we differ, we are much more alike than we are different. Welcome, Nikki. I am so happy that you're here today. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. You know, it's one of those things I find my whole body nodding as I'm like, yeah, that, that, yes. So it's always good when you hear your bio, you're like, yeah, we're still on the same track. This is good stuff. I know we write our bios like a while ago and yeah, we really need to revisit them to make sure. Yes, that is still me. That's what I still do. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to hear about how you started in corporate America, but specifically like why you left and started doing your own thing. Sure. Um, So, you know, it's funny. uh, In my first TED talk that I did, I actually had a very visual representation of this because I feel like the bodily feeling of burnout this was back in like 2018, 2019, when I was talking about this out loud was something a lot of people could feel, but now Mm -hmm. it's even more potent and it's even more pervasive. Um, So a big reason for me was I had what would be called a traditionally successful career. I went to school, graduated with a marketing degree, went from advertising into management consulting, into asset management, private equity, um, investment, whatever you kind of want to use there. And then, um, was burnt out so badly that I was like crying in the bathroom stall at work. Cause you know, the, the doors were all glass. And I was like, I don't want anyone to see that everything I'm trying is still making me feel like I'm losing myself. So I'll do it in the bathroom stall and hope no one comes in. Um, and you know, I'm someone that does a lot of work to try every potential solution. I'll try it 17 different ways before I'm going to ask for help, which we've worked on over the years for sure. (laughs) Um, But I got to a point where I was like, you know, I'm, I was in the halls with like presidential candidates, past presidential candidates, uh, sports team owner, like all these people that are 
in positions of extreme power, you know, some of the biggest donors to the presidents, like all these, all these elements that I'm like, I'm here, I'm sitting next to these people. Why do I still feel so empty? I can show up in all the different ways that I'm trying. I was so involved in so many different things, trying to find that like bud of my humanity that seemed to have been dying or had been hidden or was in the shadow somewhere. And uh, it finally got to a point where I realized, I think it's that I can't be in this space to free myself of the kind of weight that I'm carrying around in trying to be myself in a space that doesn't necessarily allow for me as who I am to do that. I had been putting on all, I was talking about it. I put on so many different masks, so many different costumes, um, figured out a whole, a whole bunch of different ways to communicate with people. I always think of it as like kind of being a chameleon. Um, I know how to do that. It's part of what is a wonderful skill set that I have as a marketer to understand how you speak to people, as somebody that nerds out about psychology to understand how people are thinking, where they're coming from, how to really understand what they need and to determine like what is what you have, what they need. Um, but when you keep going back to the table and realizing none of the things I've got and I'm coming with like 700 different alternatives are working. It's okay. Maybe this isn't the environment that allows for all of this hard work and this hustle that I'm bringing to mm -hmm. actually break through. And, um, I started, you know, realizing maybe it's something that is about this space and me where I am right now. And so mm -hmm. that's what kind of, I, I ended up actually going from kind of the traditional corporate uh, where everybody from my school, which is business background would be like, Oh my God, this is perfect progression to being like, you know, what? I'm going to go to a small company. Um, I was at the small company for a very short period of time. And it was, uh, like a caricature of corporate in a way that it made it. So I couldn't stay as long as I had in other places. It was so obviously, um, not a fit that mm. things were so like, I think it, it was kind of like an SNL skit oftentimes that it was so <laughs> egregious that I was like, okay, we can't just act like that didn't happen. Um, and so it was a beautiful experience of kind of going somewhere new, witnessing how things worked and seeing, oh, this is just a larger version of the smaller things I, I was experiencing. Like, you know, we use the words microaggressions now, but it wasn't as uh, popular then, but like the kind of little paper cuts that were happening in mm. my corporate space. Uh, in this space, it was a lot more uh, obvious. And again, when you're starting new, you have fresh eyes and it was a smaller company. It was a lot more profound to see, oh, there's something broken about this system where I'm not necessarily able to thrive, but also secret is no one is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even the people that this is built for are not allowed to be their full selves and full human beings in this mm -hmm. space. You have to kind of cut part of your humanity off in order mm -hmm. to get the traditional version of success. Mm-hmm. That makes so, sense. I then I'll tell you that I didn't know that I was leaving to go into coaching or even like diversity, equity, and inclusion work. It was really me being like, all right, there is something that's calling me that's greater. And the invitations from my network actually were the things that led me to doing the work that I'm doing now. So it was like, I think a week after I left, I was in a spin class at 9am and people were like, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, well, I'm no longer working. And one of the women, I'm no longer working in like traditional corporate. I'm starting my own business. And one of the women at the desk had said, Nikki, I feel like you need to listen to this podcast. And it was all about women's leadership. And as I was listening to that, it was like a therapy session for my career. And like, oh, it's not me. Okay. This all makes so much sense, but we've never had the ability to be like, let's turn a flashlight over here to see mm -hmm. all the inner workings of what's going on. And so immediately I was like, I must learn all the things and I must tell every woman <laughs> about this. And that kind of is the marketer and me, the amplifier and the storyteller was like, 
this is a place where all of us will feel less uh, inadequate, will feel more heard. We will understand, okay, we're not broken, the system is. And so mm-hmm. that was kind of the, the starting of the coaching element. And then as I was doing that, some women that I met were like, we are starting a diversity, equity, and inclusion programming for women in tech. Uh, do you want to be part of this? And so I was one of the original facilitators and it wasn't just women in tech, it was healthcare, it was uh, government, it was nonprofit. And so it really was not really the plan. Not that there really was a concrete, concrete plan, but it was like, okay, how do we break free from the shackles that our society has on us from being real people? And so these Mm -hmm. invitations allowed me to start opening up doors that I didn't know were there. And so Mm. I think right now, the beauty of that is, this was back in 2015, 2016. And since then, and this was, you know, before Hillary Clinton didn't win. And so there was this whole conversation about women's leadership that was very much at the forefront in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last, you know, we're at six years now. Wow. Um, oh my gosh. Obviously the conversation about all of these kind of lanes has gotten wider and much more common place for people to be mm-hmm. talking about. But at the time, I remember so many of my colleagues and my friends, my past like college uh, friends being like, what are you doing? You left what behind? You worked this hard for how? Huh? What? I was like, I don't know how to explain it. This isn't, I'm not trying to pitch you on Shark Tank. I'm just telling you this is where kind of my heart needs to go. And I'm seeing that this isn't just me. This is a much bigger issue. It's mm-hmm. a long-winded way to say burnt out yeah. <laughs> started following why I burnt out to try to fix it for me and but everybody else as well everybody else yeah that's awesome yeah so I'm Gen X and I was in coaching for eight years starting in 2010 got out in 2018 and I I worked mostly with women and other women were all about okay the system doesn't work for women like corporate doesn't work for women and so there was a lot of talk about how can we help other women either stay in corporate and thrive or get out and do their own thing. But something I love about millennials is more of this focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I just didn't hear other Xers talking about. So this is really awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, But so for anyone listening who doesn't really understand this idea of other or in between, could you say a little bit about that, please? Oh, sure. It's so funny because the way it's really interesting because we're kind of socialized to not understand it. So Mm -hmm. if you're sitting here listening, being like, great, I've heard some people say it, or I've never heard it before. What does it mean? Literally, the next thing I say is, is there ever been a time in your life where you feel like you didn't fit in the options or you didn't belong? And every single person has some sort of whether they're willing to say it out loud, because oftentimes, if you have been conditioned so significantly to say that as a sign of weakness, and my goodness, we can't be weak. But there is some sort of bodily feeling of even if it's a memory from way back of when Mm -hmm. the world didn't tell something about the world you were in told you you had to be different than you were in order to survive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It was one of those moments where you're like, okay, who, how do I have to be different than myself? How can I abandon parts of myself in order to be okay here, be accepted here? Um, So that is like a very, very universal take. If you have felt as though the world is set up for you to not thrive as yourself, but have to be someone else, if you Mm -hmm. felt like the options available don't actually encompass who you are, Mm -hmm. um, that is where kind of the other element comes in. Mm -hmm. The other piece is that we live in such a binary world that we're told there are two options for things. And 
most of those times, those options are put on various ends of a spectrum, even if they are not encompassing of the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes we're given like an on or an off switch and you're like, but I'm in between those things. Like, can we have like a slow fader? Is that allowed? And so oftentimes we are like, I think of personally why this, why my podcast is called Checkbox Other is so much of my life was like, yeah, but like, you know, I always think about it racially was mm-hmm. I had all these checkboxes on every form since I've you know been little. And now they've gotten a little bit better because the demographic of biracial and multiracial people are forcing our systems to be like, oh, wait, we're not we're not including people. Yeah. Um, but I would have to choose between white and black. I couldn't even mm-hmm. choose both. And I was mm-hmm. like, but then you're making me choose my mom or my dad. And yeah. that doesn't feel right. I am yeah. very much a combination of both. And mm-hmm. my experience is also very separate from both of them because mm-hmm. I have to kind of occupy the space in between. And so the moments in your life where you feel like those options aren't fully kind of satiating how you identify who you are and the Mm -hmm. fact that we evolve over time, not necessarily racially, but maybe your understanding Mm -hmm. of that makeup or other aspects of your identity as you grow and are allowed to kind of really embrace who you are, you might realize, oh, wait, that's a box I used to check, but it's not who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And how we kind of allow for the reality that we are unique human beings. I mean, we've got Mm -hmm. DNA that shows that we've got fingerprints that show that why we can't understand ourselves as unique individuals instead of just trying to be a robotic version of what is seen as acceptable. Mm -hmm. That's great. So why is it so important for people to embody their full selves and to share their stories of being their full selves? Well, it's my favorite thing. I'll tell you this. There's a little (laughs) bit of selfishness in this because when I work with coaching clients, I'm always like, one of the things that's really great is to find out your light up moments, the things that Mm -hmm. make you feel so alive and so excited, the things that fill your gas tank, you know? Um, and for me, storytelling is that hearing other people's stories, learning about how other people live differently than I do. So it's something that's a little bit selfish in the fact that that brings me so much joy to hear people's stories. So being mm-hmm. able to create a space that encourages those hidden stories to come out, there's a part of it that I'm like, yes, I love this, but also to watch somebody feel seen and to mm-hmm. be in an experience where you can witness who they are as a person rather than who they thought they had to be to protect is one of the most beautiful things. It's how we connect as human beings, I believe. Um, You know, one of the things that I think is really important as we talk about creating space for people to show up as their full selves, I think Mm -hmm. oftentimes we use language like full selves and authenticity, and we continue to use the same metrics that and the systems that tell us we can't. So we use the words and we expect people to do that. And then we're saying, why aren't you? While there are all these oppressive things or all these threatening, dangerous things that are surrounding the ability for you to show who you really are, especially the soft spots that have been covered by armor. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I will say this. I think that finding a space for you to be witnessed in who you are is a really, really powerful thing because mm-hmm. often we're working against forces that are telling us that we're not allowed to be who we are to be worthy. In order to be worthy, you have to be someone else or you have to mm-hmm. be someplace else. So you have to be a different volume or take up less space. Uh, and to even just have moments in your life where you're allowed to show up with your shoulders down and with the mm-hmm. armor down, that it is okay for you to be who you are and your life has been lived with a, a overarching sense of worthiness because you were born into this world, you are worthy. You don't have to be proving that is a really powerful thing for the individual. 
but mm. also for the collective to understand that though you might look different and all the metrics I'm told of who I am, how I define myself as a little kid, you might be different on all those boxes, but your story, your experience and my experience might be so similar. I can feel it in my bones that we are the same but everything outside of us makes us feel different. It's one of those things that if we don't allow ourselves to connect on the humanity that we share, we will be divided. And mm. obviously we're experiencing such a, uh, a chasm of sorts that like there is such an obvious focus on the way messaging is focused on division, mm. but also technology. I mean, the gen, the gen X are you and the like elder millennial and me like, I remember I didn't know people outside of the people I went to school with. I didn't know news outside of the newspaper that was delivered to my door. Um, I couldn't be on the phone at the same time as my parents. Like, you know, there was not this ability to understand that the world is bigger than the world you're experiencing. Kind of like Pleasantville. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yes. Yes. That your world is kind of those blocks that you live in. And obviously technology has blown that idea out of the water where you're seeing Mm -hmm. people's experiences and feeling people's experiences. And so much of that connection is through the humanity that you can resonate with in their story. And so we have all of these divisions and these, these elements of kind of battle Mm -hmm. that, are they, they like thrive on the ability for you to see yourself as different or see someone else as less human than you are. Mm-hmm. But as we have more technology, as we have more connection, it actually goes against the ability for us to see somebody as different and other enough to dehumanize, to destroy and to, to take their rights away. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. obviously, as we're talking right now, we are experiencing the repercussions of people wanting to obtain power and hold on to the oppressive systems that have helped had them feeling safe. Right. Um, and unfortunately those positions of power have been here for generations. And so we are seeing the kind of snap back and trying to navigate the reality of the future where the demographics of the people that are taking up most of our collective and are stepping into positions of power are no longer in alignment with the beliefs of the people that are currently grasping, holding and clenching the power and making, making policies where we can't actually live as free human beings in what is supposedly the freest country in the world. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, excellent points. And something you made me think of is genetically, my adult daughters are white Jewish and among other things, predominantly white Jewish and uh, indigenous Mexican. Mm. But because of how their dad and I were raised, we didn't know much of our ancestry. So we didn't have stories. We weren't told stories except from like he was told stories about his Italian past I was told no stories about my past. I didn't even know I was Jewish because my great-grandfather changed his last name when he and my great-grandmother came over from Europe. Mm. And so I found out much later. And so my daughters are really working on developing their stories and understanding their past. And it's been a struggle. And because of how they look, they've been asked by people, what are you? Oh, yeah. I mean, how horrible. (laughs) You know, not even what's your ancestry or even where are you from, you know, which is 
awkward enough, but what are you? It's just so awful. Um, And so it's helpful for them to understand their story and develop that um, and then to tell it, but even starting with the understanding it themselves and then to be able to embody it. So I imagine that for for everyone else as well. You know, it's funny too, because I feel like one of the experiences we were talking earlier about kind of the prominence or at least the nomenclature of people being able to understand a little bit more of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this is a perfect example of people understanding more about themselves to understand that the question of what are you, how dehumanizing that actually is. Because when you're asking that question, you're making an assumed normal Mm -hmm. baseline, whether that normal is your normal or not. And that you are different from what I expect a person to be. So therefore, what are you is such a is such a challenging experience to be in as the recipient. And unfortunately, the person that's delivering it, oftentimes you don't even know what you're doing or saying. And so Mm -hmm. by learning more about your background, you understand, oh, there's so much more to me. And, you know, I always think about when we're talking about the elements of how our society really has whitewashed so much of our experiences. Yes, racially whitewashed. (laughs) Really just been like, all right, here is the prototype of what a viable person is. This is who we've, uh, we've invested time and money on. This is the person, this is the type of body that we've paid attention to in science. This is the type of body that we're telling you to strive for. Mm -hmm. Um, All of those elements, how many people are left out Mm -hmm. in that very rigid structure even the same person that might fit it at one point in their life doesn't 20 years later, like mm-hmm. how that kind of rigidity makes it so, so much of what we operate on is not relevant for us. Mm-hmm. And the more people that are showing up and realizing, Oh, I'm made up of a whole bunch of things to be who I am. Mm-hmm. Or like, as you're saying, I just learned a couple of years ago of even this year, more of my kind of ethnic background, mm-hmm. my racial background. And all of that is in asking questions Mm-hmm. Um, and so be, being able to kind of embrace the curiosity in between and maintain the humanity, because I think there is a genuine curiosity when someone's asking you a question, yes. but the language of dehumanization is so normal that it yeah. puts a barrier up almost immediately. Like, yeah. again, in one of my TED Talks, I talk about angsty me because people have been asking me, what are you since I was pretty much born? And I started talking very early. Uh, but I remember as a kid being like, I'm human. What are you? And like that being my answer, which is that armored, get out of here with that crap response. And people would be like, oh, whoops. Like it was happening so fast that they didn't realize. But in reality, how do we create an experience where you can at your curiosity is allowed to be there so you can witness those other stories and really understand the connection across the differences? Right. That makes sense. And, And people don't necessarily know how to ask. They don't have the vocabulary. And so we probably should be, or not me, I, you know, am white. I look white. (laughs) So people probably should be compassionate about how other people ask, you know, when they don't have the vocabulary. But it's tough when you get that question all the time. It's understandable when the defenses and the armor go up. Especially as a teenager. I mean, come on now. I think think there's also a part of this when you experience, I'm sure, again, I'm not going to speak for your daughters, but I think there's a part of this when you experience it enough, 
you, you understand it, you understand the dynamics of it, and you have your own relationship to it. I think what we've witnessed in the last couple of years is this kind of great white awakening to the fact that racism exists significantly in our society still. And there's the discomfort in acknowledging that reality that Martin Luther King didn't solve this, right. um, that, you know, this is a very big element. So discomfort is something that so often went, and this is kind of why in my podcast, I talk about other, because when you're grappling with that feeling of other, that's discomfort. When you're yeah. telling somebody about that feeling, it makes them uncomfortable too, because they don't want you to feel that way. But discomfort isn't something that we should be shying away from. Right. Because discomfort and shying away from that discomfort is what has created really, really dangerous experiences for so many people. And again, to me, creating those moments of vulnerability, if you have a connection where you can actually sit in that space together, creates a powerful resilience that takes you through much more difficult things that will come. So I really do think the power of sharing your story, of understanding, okay, maybe all I've known about myself is that I am white. Okay. How does that play into the broader spectrum of like my experiences, experience of the people around me? And how can I understand where my privilege is in that experience and, Mm -hmm. and not necessarily feel like I've got to center myself because I'm not really at a threat for, well, depends on who you're talking to. There's a conversation (laughs) about the fact that the white race is threatened. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, well, and that's a big problem. Right? It's people it's, who are white who feel threatened. Yes, that is a huge cause of rights being taken away right now. Yes, yeah. Roe was just killed today. Yes, gun um, uh, laws were overthrown, overturned yesterday in New York and some other states. And other rights are about to be taken away in other ways in the future because people feel threatened. And those people tend to be white men. Yeah. I mean, let's and just go ahead and say it. Yeah. And I think cis head white men. Yes. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, it's so funny. I saw a play. Um, it's no longer on. I hope they do another run. But it was called Help. And it was about... It was about the pervasive uh, experience of whiteness across the board, but really it was all being told through a black woman's experience of being in uh, first class class lounges in airports. Mm. And the thing about the experience was that it was showcasing how the over-indexing to what we call whiteness, because it's, Mm. again, we don't actually use the words oftentimes. We're Mm -hmm. afraid to even call something white. Um, but we call people black all the time. We call things, mm-hmm. you know, we don't necessarily like to label the normal, mm-hmm. um, but how destructive these over indexed elements of white supremacy of patriarchy have actually been deteriorating white men. Mm-hmm. significantly. Mm-hmm. There's a huge conversation around suicide rates around mental health issues around the fact that like men can't show up as full humans, can't have emotions, can't bring their strife out loud. So it's going internal, True. that that is harming them as well. And yeah. so as much as it might feel like in a short term way, you're grasping and holding on to power and you're like at the top of the heap type feeling and like, okay, I've got to step on everybody to get where I am and hold on as tight as possible if you actually see the impact of what's happening, it's actually deteriorating all of us. Mm. And so it really is um, my hope. Again, it's so funny. We talk about all these things. And so often it's like a really heavy thing, which it is. Let's, Mm. I'm not acting like it's a really light, easy breezy thing, 
But like, I have so much hope in just the inevitability of access to information, transparency around information, the fact that we have at this point, like my entire life, people have been allowed to, women have been allowed to have a credit card, <laughs> have been allowed yeah. to buy a home. Like, those are not things that 10, 15 years before me, people were being born into a life like that. And even me having two parents, a white and a black parent that were able to come together and <laughs> and I was able to exist legally, like that generationally was not something that happened before. And so when you're exposed to these what would be very revolutionary a generation or two ago as your normal, mm -hmm. it's really difficult for you to fathom how these things that we're experiencing from older generations pushing them forward, how it's even happening. And so mm -hmm. as these generations age and are in positions of power to be make le making legislature decisions, and at this point, you know, I think there's a lot more conversation in younger generations around, wait a second, my voice matters. How do I actually have it? And these systems... I only see like 80 year olds here. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I can do this. Mm -hmm. um, how that kind of activates the ability to say, okay, this is how I make a difference. I don't need to follow the path of going to business school and doing all these right path things that keep me in line and keep me a robot. I am actually seeing that something's broken over here and maybe I won't go to college. Maybe I'll go and learn this thing and, and be part of this particular part of you know community activism and therefore have all the lived experience that I need to be able to be making the impact on a political level, a legislative level. Even on the like on a scientific level, can I be creating spaces where we have more broad representation as we're doing research and having the data tell us what yeah. to do? If the data is excluding so many of us, then the data is not sufficient enough. Yeah, that's great. So, do you think that people sharing their stories is changing other people's minds? I have a hard time or with the opening hearts. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, I. I feel like younger me, 20 year old in the twenties, me, um, or even teenage me was trying to change people's minds. I yeah. think, um, I thought, Oh my God, well, if I just show them clear enough, this is when I was saying, I tried like 17 different ways to tell you something. I tried all these different scripts and showing myself a different way and realizing it's not about how I say it. If you're not ready to receive it, no matter how I say it, I can put it on a silver platter. I can dress it up with everything you love, but if yeah. you are not in a place to receive it, you're not going to receive it. Yeah. And so I think there is a, a part of sharing your story. Yes, it's important because there are going to be people that are there that are receiving it for the first time. Mm -hmm. It also might be, there might be people receiving your story and realizing it and unlock something that other people in their lives have been telling them for years. Yeah. I have coaching. So maybe it's time because yeah. they've heard it before and now they're ready. And it can, it can just be that kind of little kismet universal spark that it was the right time, the right place. It came after the right thing or right before the right thing that mm -hmm. it actually was able to permeate a little bit deeper. It doesn't necessarily mean like, aha moment, all minds are changed. Right. But the representation of your mm -hmm. story, the ability for your story to be heard, especially if you feel like it wasn't allowed to exist, mm -hmm. oftentimes it's because it was never given the microphone or seen mm -hmm. on screen or in books or even the, you know, the protagonist in a book. It was always the antagonist, if included at all, or right. it was always the sidekick. Mm -hmm. So understanding that like you as a person can be the lead in your story mm -hmm. is a really important thing and it has a ripple effect. And so- right. It's funny because on my TED Talks, I've had people say to me, oh my goodness, you just said the thing that I've been trying to say, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Or my mother was with me and this helped. 
I've been saying it forever, but she needed to hear it from you. So thank Mm. you because it opened up a conversation from us. But Mm -hmm. I also have coaching clients that will come back and be like, we have been working on this for months. And I just heard this person on a podcast say it. And it like, it was like all the puzzle pieces magically locked into place. And they're like, I don't know how, I don't know why I've been working on trying to get it there, but somehow, some way it was just the perfect element. Mm. And so especially I work with, I, I, my coaching certification was intentionally in women's leadership. And so I work with a lot of women. And when we are thinking about taking up space, oftentimes the message that we've been given is that we're bad we're slutty for showing too much of ourselves or taking up too much space. We are overly confident. And oftentimes that's met with violence. That's met Mm -hmm. with danger. That's met with a threat. Um, And we are silenced and we are minimized. And, you know, even like if you think about fat phobia in our society, that you are taking up space with your body is not allowed. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a very psychologically, um, it's a psychological warfare in its own way that you take up space in the world. Yep. But to be able to create space to talk about your story, oftentimes when I'm working with women that are, are navigating the very real perceived and oftentimes real danger of taking up space and sharing your story when the world around you has told you not to, it is hacking into this thing that our society has wonderfully trained so many of us to do mm-hmm. is people pleasing and uh, taking care of other people and putting mm-hmm. ourselves at the end of the list. And so oftentimes yeah. those things leave us behind. But yeah. I tend to, especially when we're talking about things like imposter syndrome, I'm always like, how can I use the things that have kept us, the muscles that we've built that have kept us kind of behind or in the shadows and actually use the skills we have to break us through that barrier. And so often I'm always like, hey, if you're afraid to tell your story, it is helping someone and try it in small ways and see, talk to people, witness the power of your story because it will it will activate something in you and other people because you sharing even the smallest level of vulnerability gives them permission to do the same. And it happens time and time again in workplaces, in families, when people are on kind of bigger stages, but like even in the smallest ways, it can really unlock some things that help ease and smooth a lot of the conflicts that we have by not being able to show up as who we are. That's great. Yeah. And maybe it's less important to try to change minds than it is to galvanize other people to share their stories. So we have almost this mass movement of people being themselves and speaking out and sharing more stories. And, and that does go into then imposter syndrome um, is so, you know, we normally think of it as applying to high achieving women, but I bet you hear it all the time from your clients and from people who feel other. So how do you see that showing up? It's funny because I remember the first time I ever heard imposter syndrome, I was working in corporate. It was very much like, this is the reason women aren't getting promoted. And me being like, oh, okay. I don't don't know that that's it. I think that Mm -hmm. the imposter syndrome feeling I'm having is like that I'm not being invited to the meeting I'm supposed to be in. So maybe I don't belong there. Like Mm -hmm. that's not about promotion. That's like restricting my access. That's assuming that I am not a viable enough person to be there, but I'm the viable enough person to do all the research, have all the slides, do all the work for you to take the credit for it. How did that happen? You know? So the definition always felt kind of lacking for me. Mm-hmm. And and if it was even given a definition, mm-hmm. and then you think imposter syndrome, that it's the person's fault that feels like the, they are the reason they are the root cause. And when I work with women on imposter syndrome, 
pretty much when I work with women on anything. And really when I talk about where we are right now, it's about shining light on the systems that create that. You are not the root cause of your imposter syndrome. And therefore you are not the, you don't have the ability to magically make it go away. It has been there for generations. It is, it is bolstered by so much in present time and past. And so when I talk about imposter syndrome, I don't, initially, I think it was in the 1970s where there were two psychologists that talked Mm -hmm. about it and it was focused on women. Mm -hmm. um, And it was an imposter phenomenon at the time. Yeah. And it really was talking about that. But really, when you hold enough space to say, have you experienced this too? to a man, (laughs) you know, it's, yeah, I felt this because of this in this room. And you realize it's when you are not fitting the mold of what you've been told is the way to do this. If you haven't gone to the specific school, if you haven't had the exact same number of clients or you haven't, Mm -hmm. um, you don't, you don't have 2.5 kids in a white picket fence and a husband (laughs) or wife that you haven't gone on the approved resume of what it is to be successful then you start to feel like, oh God, well, I guess that one choice that I made or the one part of who I am means that I don't fit here. Mm-hmm. And those aren't things that are about you being a woman. Mm-hmm. Those are things about the system around you telling you in order for you to succeed, you have to be a very different version of yourself than you are. Mm-hmm. And when I often talk about women's leadership, I, I talk a lot about Don Draper. Oh, yes. <laughs> because I feel like the way that that, that I, there's a part of this, that that particular show was so popular because there were so many people that identified with it, all the different elements of the different characters. But Don Draper in himself wasn't even real. That wasn't his name. That wasn't who he was. And that, spoiler alert, didn't survive as it was. And so even the kind of prototype, the archetype of like the successful macho male was a figment of our imagination. It was like the Wizard of Oz, the guy behind the curtain. And so if we are able to see the thing that we're striving for that makes us feel an imposter isn't real, the systems around us are making us feel less than. It takes so much of the weight off of you feeling like, oh, I'm the person that's not supposed to be here and realizing, oh, okay, that's not real. This stuff around me is, is where the weight's coming from. I can actually find inside my core inner selves the strength that I have and try to bring it to the table. Are you going to magically fix where you work because you start paying attention to what amazing gifts you have to bring to the party? Not necessarily. But are you able to have your spine go up a little bit straighter? Have you feel a little bit more confident and strong? Have you making decisions based on your values? So that you can decide, is this a place I want to be? Is this a place I want to be spending all my energy and my skills? It really gives you a lot of power back in your own decision-making on what I think is the biggest currency that you have is time here. And so how do you want to be able to use that wonderful light that you have in the soul of who you're bringing to the party, but also the time that you're spending in things? And so I think that that's a really important thing, especially is where we are right now, as we're starting to see such huge shifts. If we're talking about work specifically, we've had to really grapple with the fact that we're heading into a new generation of work and we don't know what it's going to be, but like, we're not going to go back to what it was. Even if people try to force you and tell you they're going to fire you, the reality of the last few years has made it so we can't act like it didn't happen. And so I don't know if you've heard of this, but there's something, there's like a phenomenon that used to be more on an individual level called turnover shock. That was, um, the phenomenon of sorts that when someone goes through something big in their life and it could be good or bad, but, um, or I guess neutral, but something that makes a big impact 
that it has them assessing what their values are and where they want to be. And so oftentimes when it's like a birth or a death or a graduation of some sort or a move, like these kind of big elements in our lives, we start assessing like, do I want to bring this with me to the next phase of my life? Is this filling what I need it to fill? Is, you know, do I need more from this in order to continue to participate? So that's normally on kind of individual levels where there's a birth, there a death, there a graduation. But what we're having right now is a collective shock to the system of us all having to hunker down and protect ourselves and figure out what, what am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to sacrifice my health to go to this job? Am I willing to sacrifice my relationships to prioritize you know, to prioritize other elements of what I'm being told are really, really important. But are those things important to me? Are they important to the person that's sending me that email or inundating me on social media? And so that kind of ability to kind of separate yourself from the messaging is another thing that helps you kind of, you're saying change minds. I think part of it is just being like, your mind has so many doors that it has the opportunity to open up. But we have been educated in such a way and I won't go too deep into this, but even our education systems were set up for obedience, not necessarily yeah. for learning. And so totally. if you start realizing, I learned how to be a good student, but really that was for me to obey. That was for me to stay in line. That was for me to not ask questions. If I asked questions about my life, what would they be? And is it okay for me to ask them? It starts unlocking all these doors and it might be overwhelming, um, but I really think there is so much power that you have in yourself that once you get to witness it and witness your story, witness your curiosity, it gives you so much more kind of, of energy back into yourself that the world, again, I started by talking about burnout, that the world is kind of zapping from us in so many ways as we're just trying to keep our heads above water. Mm, very true. That's awesome. And I'm so glad that you brought up the systemic problem of imposter syndrome, because it really is. It's not the individual's fault. It's not for individuals to fix within themselves. It's a total systemic problem. Yeah, yeah. that's right. When I talk about um, individuals, though, you have the ability to play with it, you have the ability to kind of change your relationship to imposter syndrome, it might not rid it altogether. And so, yeah, it's it's less about I have to change it for everybody and more, how can I live with the realities of what's around me? And so what do you suggest in that regard? Oh, well, um, one of my favorite things to do is to tell people to just notice it first, notice the patterns, notice when it's showing up. I encourage people to name it. And if you can name it like some bizarre separate from you name, even better. Um, there's a book called Taming the Gremlin. You can call it your gremlin. Oh, you can call yes. it whatever you want, but separating it from yourself a little bit to realize it's not me. It's something that's happening to me and it is around me. Gives you a lot more agency to witness it and how it's playing out. Um, and then I always, I, I encourage people to set boundaries, even if they're small boundaries of like unfollowing things or telling Instagram, this is not an ad that's for me. Um, trying to minimize the amount of exposure you have to things that are making you feel that way. And if you can find a place to have someone or a community of people to share when those things are coming out. So you're not internalizing and it's not imploding inside of you. You have the ability to kind of process it outside of yourself. It gives you just a little bit of space and it takes the weight of that experience out of you. Um, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of like historical elements of how civilizations actually process stress. And a lot of that is the ability to have a community around you to process what's happened with, um, that helps the stress cycle actually go through. And so those are a couple things, um, that I encourage people to do. And the more you witness yourself doing it, 
again, it's like a muscle. You start building more and more of a muscle that when it starts coming up, you're like, oh, hey, okay, you're telling me something right now. This is a clue. This isn't a, This isn't about my worth. This is some element of what's happening in the situation make me doubt myself. And is it true? Um, so hopefully you move yourself a little bit further away from the direct impact and give yourself more curiosity and more of like the scientific researcher of it all. That's great. Love that. So I know you have to go in a second, so we have to be wrapping up, but, but would you say a little something about your podcast? Oh, sure. I mean, you, you've talked a little bit about it. My podcast is a baby that I birthed because of how many times I felt other. And so many people in my life, when I talked about what it felt like to feel like the only person in a room, how uh, pivotal that was to their experience. And so often, especially people that were making big things happen, that was because they were addressing that feeling in their lives. And so activating the ability for all of us to see that though that's a sticky, icky feeling of feeling other, there's actually so much power and potential in that and really reframing and changing our relationship to it brings us together, makes us a whole crew of people that have felt other, but also activates you to be shining your light and doing the gift that you were put here to do. Um, so yeah, I, I interview people on the podcast and I also sprinkle in some coaching and some mindset stuff in the in-between because I've been told that that's helpful. So yes. <laughs> um, we've added that in the last couple of years, but um, it's one of my favorite things to do, especially the pandemic. I haven't got to meet new people. So it's a really great way to talk to people and hear their stories. That's awesome. And you do live coaching every Thursday at noon. Is that correct? How yes. can people, how can listeners um, join that? Well, you can go to NikkiInnocent.com slash coach dash me. We do a free right now. We're doing a free week so you can test it out without any kind of commitment to see if it's a vibe for you. But um, it's it's like hot seat coaching. You come in wherever you are in your life in that moment, however you're feeling. You don't have to be anybody other than who you are. And you can bring you know a challenge to the table, a opportunity that you're thinking about. And we talk about it. I, I work with you live and we go for about five to 10 minutes and we talk through it and you have an incredible, like the thing that I'm the most proud of. Yes, sir. Sure. I will help you. I love, I love kind of, uh, working through quandaries and, and challenges and thinking about things in a different way. But the thing that I'm the most proud of is the support and the kind of booing support that the community creates. And so when I was talking about imposter syndrome and having a space to say it out loud, this space has become such a beautiful place for people to change their relationship to imposter syndrome just by being able to say the thing that they were like, I was whispering it or not saying it all, but I can say it here. And it has changed the game for so many people. So it's, um, yeah, Thursdays at noon, Eastern time, we do it. And, uh, it's just been such a wonderful time. So, oh, yeah, that's if, awesome. if, if you're considering it, please join us. Uh, we would love to have you. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. And there's a link to it right on your website. Yes. Like at the top, isn't there? Yeah. So that's cool. So people can go to NikkiInnocent.com and it's right there on the top. Yes. Cool. yes, yes. And uh, how can listeners work with you other than that? So I do um, a comp. So I normally tell people if you're considering coaching and you want to get a sense of what it is, I think the coaching industry is, is huge, but it's also foreign adult wise. I think we grow up with like sports coaches and you have teachers and you have all that. And then you're like, okay, I want to coach in my life, but does that mean like I'm doing poorly at work or like something wrong rather than it being some sort of support. And so I really encourage you if you're considering it and have had never had exposure, come witness what it's like, uh, listen to a podcast episode or two to see if my style feels right to you. Um, but I also offer individual one-on-one -on -one coaching and I do some on-demand kind of coaching things. So you can do it on your own time, which is what I think is also really powerful about having a podcast like yours that 
as we're thinking about all of these complex issues, it's not about having to have the right answer right away. You can process it, absorb it, think about it and try it out in conversation when you feel ready. And so that's kind of my take on on on-demand coaching as well. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was just terrific. I really appreciate it. I had such a wonderful time. I'm so grateful that you're holding this space. I am like amped because I feel like as you're talking about your daughter's discovery and your discovery, I'm I'm like, there's a part of me that's like, I want to hear more about your stories as you keep going. So um, I'm just excited for you. And uh, thank you truly for inviting me to be here. It's absolutely. Well, I'm so glad you were able to be. So again, y'all can find Nikki at NikkiInnocent.com and you can leave comments on this episode's page on my website at AngelaKellySmith.com. Link in the show notes. And I will see you back in a few days on the Marketing Chat Podcast. Thanks so much.